Thank you, Jesse, and good morning, Encounter Church, and I uh, echo uh, Jesse's sentiments. It was a, an incredible uh, Friday night and weekend, and you, we can um, praise the Lord for that. As, like, as things are starting to shape up, as people are showing up at 530 and, and I thought, this is, this is a bit peculiar because we've never had this many people showing up early. And then as folks started lining up along the sidewalk and as that line stretched, and it wasn't a single file line, it was like a family clump line, right? And as that stretched right past the Mexican, right, the, uh, I almost said little tacos, but it's yellow cactus, right, as it stretched past the Mexican, and then was creeping to buds, I thought, my goodness, and then Thatcher comes out to me, and we're like 10 minutes past six, 10 minutes past six, and he said, dad, he said, we're about ready to run out of backpacks, and we have hardly put a dent in that line, as, it, as it's creeping up, and praise the Lord for people like Kelly Muir and so many of you who stepped up and just, like, I, my mind, my mind thinks of the scripture where it says that the Holy Spirit comes and goes and he blows winds where he may. And that's just the thought because, like, in, in the entire life of Encounter Church, I can't ever say we've had an event, a weekend even, not just Friday night, but a time that has been so unique and so special. And even this morning, I completely blew through my alarm. <laughs> I woke up late. I woke up at 7.30 and Marin was supposed to be here at 7.30 to help with PowerPoint. And understand, if I'm not up, you can assure, be assured Marin's not up either. And, uh, and I thought, goodness, what am I going to And then I thought, but wait a second, there's a church that has rolled up their sleeves. And, and I roll in later than normal with the children. And here's, here are so many of you doing the work of the ministry. And I tell you what, church, it has been a beautiful, beautiful weekend. To God be the glory, and to each of you, man, y'all deserve like hugs and high fives, and, and you are to be commended. You have served the community so well. In fact, there was, that, there was a family from Afghanistan who's moved here, and um, many of you spoke uh, to the father and the two children, and just amazed with the generosity and the kindness of the church, and and their daughter, she's holding on to that backpack like it was her most prized possession, and I tell you all what, you should have seen, I wish I could have captured her eyes as I'm talking to them around the information table, and Dr. Dill, like this gentleman, is, he's, he's gathering up every piece of pamphlet of information that you've got there. And, and then when I offered them one of our coffee mugs, you would have thought the daughter had just won the lottery. 
And, and maybe it's the Reese's, the Reese's Cup. That could be it, right? Lottery, Reese's Cup, you know, I understand. But she takes that, and she is just saying, her, and her brother, so grateful, right? So grateful. And church, I'm reminded, right? What we do here on Sunday mornings in this space is of great importance. It is of great importance. Singing and, and, and praying to the Lord encouraging one another, sitting under the teaching of God's word, right? This shapes Moses, but it can't stop in these walls. If it does, then, then we're wasting our time. Maybe not wasting our time. If it stops here, we're being disobedient. That's what it is. We're being disobedient. And, and this will date me a little bit. I just, like... Another thought that as I was, um, you know, you step back and you look and you see that video chip and thanks David also for all the pictures you took that we've had scrolling this morning. You just stop and watch those videos. And again, this will date me a little bit. Uh, years ago, right, Steve Green wrote a song and it's, it says, people need the Lord. Right, every day we pass them by. In that, right, it's not the most catchy tune, but man, those lyrics are so true. And as I'm watching the people come and we're greeting them and we're loving them well and you're serving them well, these are people who need to hear about Jesus. And that's why we do what we do. And so church, uh, what a Sunday, what a weekend, what a weekend. And thank you, so many of you, I won't mention names because some of you have said, don't mention my name, right? But you know who you are. You have served so well, and we are grateful for that. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 21, all right? Turn in your Bibles there to Acts chapter 21. If you're not exactly sure where's the book of Acts, right? You'll find it on one of, in one of the Bibles there. It's on page 1,585, 1,585. And we certainly believe that God has revealed himself to us in various ways. And one of the ways is through his word, that he has given us the Bible so that we can know him more and so that we can study it and so we can encourage one another through it and grow in him. And so we have, as a church, we've been, we've been going through the book of Acts and that is typically our, how we operate here is we, just, we go through a book and we learn and we explain and try to apply it and then live it out. And we find ourselves here in Acts chapter uh, 21. I'm going to read... Uh, verses 1 through uh, 14, uh, and then uh, we'll see, see what God has for us here. So follow along with me, starting in verse 1. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia. We went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there, and we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. 
And when it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went on board the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, he tied his own hands and feet with it and he said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Well, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. When it comes to traveling, all right, many of us, maybe uh, most of us probably are just now getting back from maybe you took a summer vacation or a summer trip someplace. Now that school is getting back into session, we're settling back into some routine. But maybe over the summer months, you took a road trip of sorts. I think when it comes to traveling from point A to point B, we depend a lot on our technology, don't we? Right? It used to be maps, then it was MapQuest, and now it's just the phone right? Often we depend on our technology and some sort of navigational application that's there on our phone, right? What do we do? We've all done this, even, even getting around the city, right? Most of, sometimes we don't even know how to get around the city anymore without our, our phone. What do we do? We type in a destination address. We determine our starting point, right? It says, is this where you want to start from? And then we hit go, and then, and then like magic, the voice on the phone then starts prompting us, doesn't she or he or in an English accent, whatever you've decided you want the person to sound like on your phone. And, and so they start to prompt us and, and they tell us how far we should travel. We, they tell us, right, these wonderful things, right? There's a speed trap up ahead, which means those of you who speed, you slow down, or maybe you should watch out for the stall. It tells you, right, there's a stalled vehicle on the uh, ahead, right? It even adjusts, believe it or not, it will even adjust the navigation midway for a faster route, right? Isn't that the goal, right? With these navigational devices, the goal is how can we get from here to there as quick as possible with as few of obstructions as possible. And so our trusted digital co-pilot is constantly manipulating the trip to do what? To avoid construction, to avoid traffic accidents or slowdowns, anything that might cause our trip to be less efficient. It seems that often the road less traveled is only traveled 
if it proves to be the easiest and quickest route in that moment, void of any hardship. Now we are here, again, if, if this is, if, if you're new to the, to the Bible or the book of Acts, you have to understand that the book of Acts is a historical story. It's a historical story of, of what happened after Jesus rose from the grave. All right, we understand that we believe and, and know, and histo- history proves this to be true, that Jesus lived a life that, that God took on human flesh and, and sent his son Jesus to dwell here among us. And for 33 years, Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience. He lived a life of obedience that neither you nor I are able to, to live. And he did so, so that he could pay the penalty of death that each of us deserve. And so the Bible records and history records for us that Jesus died on the cross, that, that, we, that he was crucified, that he died the death. Again, the death that, that we deserve. The Bible records and history records also that Jesus was buried. And then on the third day, Jesus rose again from the grave, that he actually walked out of the tomb on his own effort, right? That he, that he came back to life, that he really died, and that he really came back to life. And because of that, Jesus offers to us the forgiveness of our sin because the wages of sin, the cost of our sin is death. But Jesus says, you don't have to die that eternal punishment or that eternal death if you would believe in me and the death that I died in your place. And Jesus says, in exchange for that, and I'll, take the, I'll forgive you of your sin, and in exchange, I'll give you life, and life everlasting. And because Jesus is alive, we then can believe that Jesus is able to give us life and to follow through with his promises. Well, the book, what the book of Acts details is how this message of a risen Jesus, that Jesus is alive, the book of Acts explains in details for us how this message then spread not only throughout the region, but also how it has ultimately made its way right to us. And so in this book of Acts, you have to understand there's this important man by the name of the Apostle Paul. And Paul was was instrumental in taking this message of a risen Savior, and he went on what are called these missionary journeys. And he would go and he sailed on a ship, and he would make these stops at these different cities, and he would get off the ship, and he would tell people that Jesus is alive and that he's risen again, and he would compel people. He would invite them to believe in him. And then he would get on another ship, and then, or on a ship again, and he would sail to another island, and he would tell people. And then he would get, on, then he would get back on the ship and sail to another port city. And he did this, and what happened is news of this risen Savior spread like wildfire. And so what we have here, as we, as we read chapter 21, what we see taking place is Paul, again, right, we had all of those cities, all of those islands, those destinations mentioned. That's what's taking place, is Paul is going around and he's telling people, Jesus is alive, trust in him, believe in him. And then he'd go to the next place and say, Jesus is alive, trust in him, believe in him. 
And so this is where we find ourselves in Acts chapter 21. Now, it is also important for you to know that this is the conclusion of Paul's third missionary journey. All right, so he's wrapping up from this point on, starting next week, we're going to learn that Paul gets arrested. He indeed gets arrested there in Jerusalem. And the remainder of the book of Acts What it tells us is, it tells us about Paul's imprisonment and his journey to Rome. And I tell you what, once the gospel, once the news of Jesus Christ gets to Rome, right? You've heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome. And if all roads lead to Rome, then it also means all roads lead away from Rome. And what happened is the gospel gets to, to Rome and people start hearing about it who have come to Rome then they take the news of this good news of Jesus Christ back home and people begin believing. And so that's really where we're at. And so we have to understand we're at the third, we're at the, the, the end of, G, of, of Paul's third missionary journey. Now what we see here though is Paul is, Paul understands that he is going to be facing hardship. Did you catch that as we were reading it? That some of his friends, some of the people who loved him, they said, wait a second, Paul, we don't want you to travel to Jerusalem. Why didn't they want him to travel to Jerusalem? Because they knew that Paul would be arrested there, right? It says that the Holy Spirit revealed to them. And even this, right, this, this, name by, this guy by the name of Agabus, right? He, he, he's, who's a prophet, and we'll learn about him here in a few minutes. Agabus comes down and says, he takes, takes Paul's belt, and he says, whoever's belt this is will be bound in Jerusalem, just like this belt is able to bind a person. And so they're warning him, but does Paul relent? Does Paul change course? Is Paul like the, the navigational application on your phone that says, trouble is ahead, Right? Make a course correction. No, not at all. Instead, what we see is Paul is determined to be obedient. And that's the big idea for this morning. The big idea for us, what we'll learn from this passage, is to be determined to obediently finish well, no matter the hardship. As you live the Christian life, as you follow Jesus, do you ever find it difficult? Right, even in your own heart, are there ever times or that, that maybe you just hear these whispers or these voices or these ideas pop into your mind and you think, you know, it would just be a lot easier to just live like the rest of the world. Right? To just kind of go with the flow of culture, just agree with everything that the world says we should agree with, it would just be so much easier to make a course correction, right? To avoid the congestion. But Paul is going to help us this morning. He's going to encourage us to say, be determined to obediently finish well, no matter the hardship. Paul is constantly, in the New Testament, Paul is constantly telling the people to be determined in their decision. Throughout his New Testament letters, he's telling us, do not lose heart. He uses phrases like, be steadfast. 
Paul will, at the end of his life, he will say, I have fought the, fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. See, Paul understands that we need this constant encouragement to be determined in our walk with Jesus. Why? Because we are tempted to, to throw in the towel. We're tempted to give up. And so this morning, I do want each of us, as we, as we understand this text, each of us should consider our own lives. Have I driven the stake in the ground? And have I said in my own heart, I'm going to be determined to live for the Lord no matter what. Well, here we're going to see there's several encouragements that Paul is, that we'll get from this passage and that Paul gets, uh, that, that we'll gather from, from this passage itself. And the first one is this, is what do we see is that we're strengthened by the church's love, right? I mean, this, based on this weekend, right? We're, we're kind of on a mountaintop experience, right? We're kind of having a holy high right here, right? Because, because all the cool things that God has been doing. But I tell you what, church, there's hardship ahead for you, for us. There are storms a-brewing. We have to know that. And, and so these, what we're learning here is, is how do we maintain that determination? How, how do we maintain that obedience to finish well well, here's, we're going to see some of these encouragements. And the first encouragement that Paul would have experienced in his travels is he was strengthened by the church's love. Look again here at verses 1 through 6. Right? Paul tells us, he says, after we had torn our... Actually, Luke is writing this, but Paul is one of the main characters. Right? Luke writes, he says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and we sailed straight to Kos. And the next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to, to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After, setting, after sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. What does it say? It says we sought out the disciples there and we stayed with them seven days. And then it even goes on. Did you notice there? Then look down in verse, verse 5. As, as Paul is leaving them, what happens? It says, when it was time to leave, we left. And we continued on our way. And all of them, including wives and children, what did they do? They walked out on the beach. They walked out to the port. And they, and, and they said their goodbyes. We, we understand, right? That word torn, right? Back there in verse 1. That word torn gives us this sense of, of, of being ripped apart. What, what Paul is saying, he is saying that as I spent time with these other believers, there was a love that, that, that grew within us. Right? They were torn. He says, it, like I, when I had to leave them, it's like I had to tear myself away and what what do we also see we see that the families they're all like I can only imagine the picture think of the movies right of of the families and the children like as as the the old movies maybe as the ocean liner is is pulling away from the port and and everyone's waving right and the people on the ship there they got their hankies out and, and they're and they're waving their hankies and and everyone's waving I can only imagine what that sight must have been and why why would why would Luke in describing this, why would he say that when we had to leave these people, that, that they all took time out of their days, their schedules, they brought the kids. What, why was it like a tearing apart? Here's why. Because there was a love that they had for one another. 
there was a love that they had for one another. And how do you develop a love for one another? Church, let me just tell you how you develop a love for one another. It's by serving together. It's by serving each other. It's by spending time with each other. Right? Coming on a Sunday morning and just kind of checking in and checking out, that, that might do a little bit to help you grow in your love for one another. But why is it that on Friday afternoon, some of you are going to call off work to come and participate in a brief graveside service of our dear friend Margot. Why will you do that? Here's why. Because you love each other. Because you love Margot. Because Margot was invested in your life and you were invested in Margot's life. That's why. Because we love one another. In fact, let me show you a picture. This is a picture of some of you all yesterday afternoon. I know some of you didn't, you're right, you're not part of the text group, and so you didn't get this. This is only encouragement, right? Text us, put us, but put, be a part of the text group. But like 30 or 40 of you, yesterday afternoon, on a Saturday, you all gave up time in your afternoon to do what? To come and serve, to pack 238 more backpacks on top of the 140 backpacks we gave away on Friday evening. You came and what did you do? Shoulder to shoulder, you served together. That's how you build love with one another. And church, your involvement in the lives of other people will strengthen your determination to be obedient to the Lord. It will. The next one then is this. What, what else do we see here? Well, we also see in this account, we see how uh, Paul and the others, they're supported by examples of faithfulness. They're supported by examples of faithfulness. This is another way in which we will be encouraged to be determined in being obedient in our faithfulness to, to, to living for the Lord, regardless of the hardship. What does it say? So the second encouragement is Paul's supported by the examples of faithfulness. Now we see this in verses seven and not through nine. Follow along in, in your Bibles with me again. So here's Luke. He's recording this historical account. So Luke says, we continued on our, vo- on our voyage from Tyree and, and landed at Ptolemus where we greeted the brothers and sisters and we stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, I, I will I, I'll try to refrain from making un, any extra comments or commentary about what that must have been like to live in a household with four young ladies who also were prophetesses. I just can't imagine. Like, like, every, like you just probably couldn't do anything right. right? As, as a dad, uh, you know, this is going to happen to you. But, but, Philip the evangelist, all right, we, are, we must not uh, run past the, the, the significance of Philip the evangelist here. Okay, we understand, right? Think about this as they're sailing from, from one island or one city to the next or even walking from one city to the next, right? Hospitality was a regular practice that was displayed by the believers from house to house. And so as Paul, is his, as, as Paul and his companions would, would arrive in the various cities, 
they would be cared for and they would be provided lodging by the believers who were there, right? Culturally, especially in this day, hospitality was a requirement. I think there's a lot of growth. I mean, this is a whole nother sermon, but hospitality is so important within the life of believers, right? They, they, they considered it an honor to have another believer come and sit at their table. They considered it an honor to be able to serve them by allowing a believer to stay the night there in their home, to give up their, their, their bedroom so that a, a, a stranger, someone who was passing through, a believer who was passing through, could, could stay there. Luke mentions to us that it was Philip who welcomed Paul and the others into his home. Now, two descriptions. Did you see the two descriptions that are given regarding Philip? Right? Philip's two characteristics are highlighted. It says that Philip the evangelist and Philip who was one of the seven. These descriptions now will take us way back to chapters earlier in the book of Acts. They remind us of our first introduction to Philip in this historical record. Right? Being referred to as one of the seven, right? being referred to as one of the seven, actually should take you back to Acts chapter 6. Because it was in Acts chapter 6, remember as the church is growing and spreading, and, and people are saying, right, it, it's like a, they, they kind of had their own Friday night back to school right, experience. It's like, my goodness, what are we going to do with all these people? Right? And so in Acts chapter 6, if you'll remember, what did they do? They, they initiated deacons, the role of a deacon. And a deacon is a table servant, is, is someone who serves. And in Acts chapter 6, there are, you can probably guess, seven names who are mentioned in Acts chapter 6, and among those seven names is who? Is Philip. So we know that, and, and also, right, if you, if you look back there, Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it says they chose Stephen, who was a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, and then it goes on and names the other five. Right, so the description then, so that's, that's where we get, he was one of the seven, he was a, a deacon in the early church. But we also see that there's another description that's given of Philip where it describes him as being the evangelist. Now again, this should remind us of Philip preaching in, in chapter 7 and 8, especially in chapter 8, of Philip preaching to the city of Samaria there in Acts chapter 8, and also his teaching to who? To an Ethiopian eunuch. Do you remember some of these stories? That we've discussed. You see how, how God's word is so incredible and how it all comes together here, right? And so, so Philip, who taught, who preached to Samaria and also who taught the Ethiopian eunuch there on the Gaza road, both accounts recorded there in Acts chapter eight. Then it's in Acts chapter eight, verse 40. The last verse of chapter eight, it, re, it tells us that Philip continued preaching and teaching as he would go from one city to the next, one city to the next, until he reached the city of what? Caesarea. So at the end of Acts chapter 8, all the way here to Acts chapter 21 is a 20-year span. 20 years, right? We read this and we don't think about how much time goes by. But 20 years has elapsed from from 
It's saying Philip preaches along the way. He arrives in Caesarea. And then we fast forward now to chapter 21 to where we get to where we're told. Guess who is still ministering there in Caesarea? Philip. Philip. Church, commit to the long haul. Commit to being faithful to the Lord for the long haul. On Friday night, a gentleman pulled me aside and he has been to a number of our events. What's really cool is is that you have people who come to the back to school, the, the, right, the block party that we have, who also, like, we should, we should have taken stock out, and, or we should have started our own hot dog company, honestly, because this gentleman, like, people would say, hey, you guys are the ones who also give the hot dogs away at the Gaslight Parade. Like, yeah, that's us, right? And a gentleman stopped me in the hallway, and he said, listen, he said, Your church has been so faithful all of these years. Right? You can have all the glitz. You can have all the show. You can have all the glamour. You can be a flash in the pan. But what gets the attention of your neighbors for the glory of God is what? Is when you commit to the long haul. Is when you commit to being faithful to the Lord for the long term. And what does that mean? That means you will go through seasons of discouragement. Church, we've had seasons of discouragement. But what do we do? We continue moving forward because we're committed to the long haul, because we're being faithful and we're being obedient to the end, even when we face hardship. What a meeting this must have been. Philip had been one of the most determined evangelists of the early church. Think about this. Philip was actually preaching the gospel before Paul was ever saved. Right? Acts chapter 8, Philip going along the way, preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus, takes place before Acts chapter 9. And as we've learned, it's in Acts chapter 9 where God gets a hold of Paul's life, who was Saul, who was Paul, right? Paul was the great, Saul was the great persecutor of the church. He gives him a new name, calls him Paul, and says, you're going to now take the gospel to the Gentiles as well. And so we have Philip, right? What a, what a reunion this must have been. And also, let's keep in mind, who was standing by as Philip's friend Stephen was martyred. Paul. Paul was. Right? The Bible records that Paul was, he was the one who kept the coats as the men slung the stones at the first martyr of the church. Stephen and Philip no doubt would have known each other and been dear friends as they serve the church together. And we see how the gospel breaks down that bitterness 
that could have taken root in Philip's heart. We see how the gospel brings together those who were formerly enemies. To where Philip offers to Paul one of the most intimate invitations. Come, lodge in my house. Church, we see here Paul and his crew being encouraged by the examples of faithful men and women. We also see among that, right, Philip is also faithful to his own family, right? Philip doesn't, doesn't sacrifice his family for the ministry, does he? He raised his, his daughters up in the Lord. Church, I think we can learn a lot from each other as we spend time with men and women who have proved themselves to be faithful to the Lord over the long haul. This is an instruction to us of the importance of opening our homes to other believers for fellowship and encouragement. Don't, church, don't think your home has to be so neat and tidy. Like if, if, if you are waiting for your house to be perfect for you to invite other people over, you will never invite other people over. Because the devil is always going to point out one more imperfection in your home that's going to convince you, oh, oh they can't sit on that couch. You got springs poking through the couches? Who cares? Stick a book on the spring and sit on the book. You're not a good cook? Who cares? Get Tony's pizza. Throw it in the oven. It's cheap and it'll get the job done. And honestly, it's not bad. And, and, and when you invite other people into your home, or when you respond to that invitation, what does that do? That, sh that helps support you in your determination to be obedient in finishing well. In finishing well. Well, then the final one then is this, is that we are sustained by God's will. In the final verses of our study, we now are reintroduced to Agabus. This isn't the first time that Agabus has shown up. He was mentioned earlier in the book of Acts. But Agabus, who's a prophet, he comes down from Judea, right? And, and we see here in verses 10 through 14, Agabus, he again warns Paul. He says, Paul, you're going to face hardship. You're going to face persecution in Jerusalem. And we also see that the people there, they too are also concerned for Paul's safety. In fact, the people are pleading with Paul to change course. It, again, it's like that navigational tool that, that is saying, uh, there's congestion ahead. Here's a detour. And so they're saying, Paul, but there's hardship waiting for you in Jerusalem. Shouldn't you find an easier path? But church, we know that Paul was familiar with hardship. He did not allow it to deter him from God's calling on his life. You might even recall Jesus' words describing Paul way back in Acts chapter 9, where Paul is described in this way. It says, this man, this Paul, Paul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings, and to the people of Israel. And then Jesus says these words, describing Paul. He says, I will show him how he must suffer 
for my name. You see, Paul's insistence on going to Jerusalem despite the dangers detailed by the Holy Spirit, he was not rebelling against the Holy Spirit. It's not that he was just a stubborn and say, I'm going to do it my way. Instead, we see that Paul is being obedient in his response to the command of the Holy Spirit in his heart. In fact, we see in Acts chapter 20, in fact, go ahead there, just, just ever so briefly, just look there, Acts chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, as, as Paul, in, and at this point, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders, and here's what he says, verse, verse 22, Paul says this, and now compelled by the Holy Spirit, here's what Paul says this, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. He says, here's the motive though. Right? I, he says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. But here's the motive. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. And what is that task? Testifying to the good news of God's grace. See, the warnings from the Holy Spirit in chapter 21 were intended to prepare Paul not to stop him. Paul had already accepted the will of God for his life, even if it meant death. But Paul said, the joy of serving Jesus far outweighs any, any persecution that I might face. See, the conclusion the people were coming to was, was what? To trust in God's will. That's how, it, that's how we conclude there at, the, at, at verse 14. What, what does it say? It says, right there, verse 14. Look at it. It says, when Paul, when he would not be dissuaded, he gave up, or the, we gave up. The people gave up. Okay, we're going to stop trying to convince Paul to take an easier route. Instead, what do they say? The Lord's will be done. Church, in ways that we may never come to understand, we need to trust that our obedience to God's will and the hardships we face, that God will somehow use them in working out His perfect plan. Later in Paul's writing to the Philippians from a Roman prison, Paul expresses that all things that have happened to him have not hindered the gospel, but instead have furthered the gospel. Paul says this, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances, what are his circumstances? What are his circumstances? Prison. That my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Church, when you go and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with someone, and they they turn on you. They make fun of you. They, they block you from, your face, from, from their Facebook account, whatever it is. Trust the Lord in that. We don't go trying to offend people. We just have to know that the gospel will naturally offend people. But what is our calling? To be willing to be obedient in finishing well and telling and sharing the good news with other people regardless of the hardship. Through hardships and heartache, temptations and trials, through all the difficulties and joys, God is using our efforts in telling people about Jesus for the progress of the gospel. Church, what you did here 
on Friday night, what you did this morning matters. And God will use your efforts in the story of his growing kingdom. And we may never know this side of eternity the difference that you made because you showed up and you rolled up your sleeves to serve in that way. And so we should be determined to obediently finish well, no matter the hardship. And we know, church, that the, pers- the perfect example for us to imitate is, is even the determination of our Savior, Jesus. Right in Philippians chapter 2, again, we're reminded of these truths that that Jesus, being in very nature with God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Instead, Jesus made himself nothing by taking on the nature of what? Of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus did what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross, right? Our navigational tools would have been going crazy, would have been saying, wait a second, reroute, reroute, take another path, there's got to be another way, don't go to the cross, but Jesus was focused on finishing what God had called him to do, and that was to go through the hardship of the cross And so what happens? Paul continues, verse 9 of Philippians chapter 2. He says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord, what to the glory of God the Father. And so this morning, as as we conclude our time together, what do we do? We look to the cross of Calvary as the means of encouragement. And we say, Lord, help me to be obedient in my determination as well. Regardless of the hardship that I might face, why? Because on the other side of this hardship is glory. That our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will one day be revealed in us.